Yeah, hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Man City Voice Podcast. As usual, I'm Peter, um, and yeah, this is the this is the Man City Voice Podcast, and this is where me, one voice, gets to talk about everything City. Perhaps in the future, I'll get um, other people involved. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but if um, it's I get my dad is a season ticket and my uncle they're also season ticket holders at the Etihad and um, get them involved as well. Um, but for now, you've just got me, just me on my own talking about everything City. Um, and this one, this is episode eleven. So for for anyone that is new to this podcast, um, welcome along. Um, generally, just uh, generally look uh, look back at the recent kind of events that have happened. Um, with City over the last uh, last few days, the last week or so. Um, so the last episode, um, it was in uh, ahead of the um, in the kind of the aftermath of the Rotherham match, just ahead of the Burton match. Um, so since then, we played the Burton match in the League Cup, and also um, just as of yesterday, we played Wolves on Monday night. So a bit of a reflection on that. That's going to be the kind of the first port of call. Um, yeah, just really kind of goals, 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 really at the moment for City. Um, and just how well they are playing. Obviously, had that tricky period over the over the winter, um, but we're back. We're back to our best, um, and it's great to see players like Kevin De Bruyne back, Gabriel Jesus back in back in the goals. And that's also going to be the focus um, of another of another section of the podcast. Just having a look at the resurgence of Gabriel Jesus. Um, just how many goals he has scored in recent games, um, and actually he could have scored he could have scored more. Could have scored lots more. Had a couple of chances, obviously, in the um, and things like the Crystal Palace match, things like that. So, anyway, and missed some other chances as well. So, but we'll all, and then we'll also have a look um, at City's um, City's attendance and their match day attendance. Um, it's always mentioned. It's kind of like the the stick to beat City with. Um, that's one of the things I kind of hate about. Um, about social media it's just one of these easy nonsense things to pull out but even saw I mean a lot of people see it as a bit of a kind of a, a joke station anyway um, just kind of like click and listen baiters but like talk sport for instance tweeted out something yesterday during the Wolves match about kind of saying well basically alluding to the previous match against Burton where a lot of City fans I think um, suggested that the reason why the attendance wasn't so high was because um, there was an accident on the M6 which there was um, but uh, that wasn't really that wasn't really the reason that was one of the reasons maybe why a lot of Burton fans didn't make the match and that was obviously a bit of a shame for them um, but the real reason was the fact it was against Burton for God's sake I don't care if it's the semi-final of the League Cup no one's going to turn up against Burton we don't need to be there to cheer on our team you can take. Some, there's going to be some big circumstances there that would suggest suggest we're not going to go through. The whole point of kind of supporting your team is that you're there for the kind of like the, effectively to try and help your team over over the line to try and kind of make the difference, whatever. But we're going to have a look at City's attendance. We'll have a look back over um, and just kind of like I don't want to talk kind of facts and stuff like that, but I just want to talk about kind of general observations of being a City fan over the years in terms of attendance and that kind of thing. So. So anyway, yeah, first portal call, um, goals, goals, goals. Obviously, City back in the goals. Obviously, since we've beat, since we've beaten Liverpool um, in the Premier League uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Since then, we've literally been smashing teams. I know they've been um, kind of a weaker opposition, I suppose, but um, obviously beat Rotherham seven 0 then hit Burton for nine, um, and have recently just hit uh, hit Wolves for three. Um, I suppose on that, it's just great to see kind of City back 
and back to their best, effectively. Back to the you know, back to the city that we know, back to the city that we love watching, the fast-flowing football. But not only that, the control of the ball and the control of the game. When we give the ball away, we control the spaces around the ball to give us the best chance of winning the ball back. It doesn't always happen. But that's where players like Fernandini, when he did it yesterday against Wolves, and he's been doing it all, all season. And that's why, for me, he's been our best player, because he, he's just been so consistent. Every game he plays, he's been absolutely ridiculous. There's gonna, it's going to take some performance from some player that A, doesn't win Fernandinho, the, um, the City player of the season. But if we go on to win the Premier League and he continues at this rate, he needs to be the PFA player of the year. He's been absolutely immense. If someone like N'Golo Kante can win it, Fernandinho can win it and he'd have deserved to have, deserved to have won it if he continues um, in the manner that he is. Because there is not another player like him in the Premier League. There just isn't. N'Golo Kante is great, but he hasn't... And you could possibly argue that actually N'Golo Kante, in terms of his kind of... Um, his, I would say his tackling ability is probably it's probably better than Fernandinho's. Although Fernandinho is great at retrieving the ball. He is great at tackling. But he kind of can mistime it a little bit. Um, but the thing that Fernandinho does well, which I think N'Golo Kante does as well as well. N'Golo Kante, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um is his um, his reading of the game, but also being on the front foot to kind of anticipate um, and effectively, a lot of the time, he'll win the ball ahead of the opposition because he is on the front foot and he kind of takes that front that front step. So, yeah, I've just been so impressed with Fernandinho recently. Um, when he was out, we sorely missed him. There is no other replacement. I know we've kind of talked about this on previous essays. Who are we, who are we going to replace him with? Um, I'll tell you one player that I have seen um, in uh, recent weeks, and when we played against them, I was particularly impressed just with um, how well he did in terms of retrieving the ball and that, that kind of thing. Um, what is Declan Rice? And I know, actually, like weirdly enough, he was talking about Fernandinho, I think, in the week and just saying that actually coming up against him and seeing how good he is kind of basically makes him want to kind of strive to be better and um, and, and, and do better and be a better player and that kind of thing. So um, that was, yeah, that was really interesting to kind of listen to that interview and um and see that actually someone like um fernandini is kind of basically inspiring the next kind of um generation a generation of kind of english slash irish slash i don't know what he's doing with international career but um yeah i was really impressed with declan rice obviously when it comes to um city you can't really um have kind of favoritism over maybe homegrown players as opposed to kind of foreign players or whatever but i don't think there's really Another player that I've seen, even kind of across Europe, that is as young as Declan Rice, that is kind of a similar ilk, and even if he's a little bit different um, to Fernandinho, I don't think that would be a um, a bad buy. And I think it's been um, something that most Premier League teams over the years, and it doesn't, it, maybe it doesn't matter, but it, it kind of feels like it should matter. But the you know the 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 kind of nucleus of the team should still be kind of, you know, English, British, whatever. There should still be a kind of, even though it might be a small number, but a kind of a core number um, of players um, should still be kind of English, British. It kind of just feels like maybe that's the right thing to do. I don't think it really matters. I think there are plenty of teams that have won games and probably won leagues and competitions where there's been probably maybe one or two, if hardly any English players playing in the team. Um, but it would be nice. Obviously, we've got kind of a, a core contingent, you know, a little, a little contingent like Sterling, Stones, Delft, um, etc. So 
and obviously Foden as well being there. Um, I've talked previously about perhaps getting Chilwell from Leicester. Obviously, I've been um, Rice there as well, but they're all going to cost money. They cost a lot more than um, some of the foreign players, um, unless you're kind of talking about the big, big, kind of big names from other teams. But yeah, so it's just been great again, just to see kind of City back in back in the goals. And um, I talked to my dad about this the other, my dad about this the other day. Um, but it's just the great thing about having Pep in charge is that you just know that we're going to be in the game. And even the even the losses to Leicester and Crystal Palace and Chelsea, we were in the game. We were in the games. Where I would I would just say we were a little bit unlucky to a certain extent. I think Chelsea kind of did a bit of a job on us in terms of that kind of the, the tactical approach or whatever but actually in terms of kind of the control of the ball and the game and that kind of thing and the chances we were still there we were still in the game we were still um, very much very much in it and I think based you know, from listening to a lot of the Pep interviews and um, what he wants from the team and he wants his team to play the same way there is no plan B it's just do plan A better and better and better and improve and keep doing it better until you win everything um, so there, you know, people often talk about a plan B or a plan C or sticking a big man up there or whatever or going a bit more direct. No, that is not what they do. That's not what um, City do. They have a plan. But that plan can also, you know, as we've seen um, with Edison getting his assist earlier in the season to Aguero yesterday with Laporte's through ball to Sane and that kind of... This is It's not all kind of dicky-tacky at the edge of the box, not... Know, trying to play into space and that kind of thing we do we do mix it up in terms of the type of goals that we that we play but the one thing that we don't compromise on is the way that we set up and the way that we win the ball back um, and and the way that we will we have absolute confidence in 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 each other if that makes sense and kind of to 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 keep the ball is um, is to have control of the ball, to have control of the game. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't, you know, knock a 60-yard ball over the top to somebody, to somebody, but it has to be um, has to be with kind of something or some kind of output or some um, trying to tr- create a chance in mind. There's no point just keeping the ball. And Pepper said this. There's no point in just keeping the ball just for keeping the ball's sake. You need to be doing something with it. You need to be progr- you need to be progressive. Um, and like I said, it's 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 been great to see not only that we kind of back to form. But also that players are back. Like I said, Fernandinho from a little knock. Obviously, David Silva's been back for a little bit. He had a little knock. Um, but the kind of the main man, and it was great to see him back yesterday against Wolves, um, was De Bruyne, was, was KDB, was the main man. Um, and it's just, yeah, I just can't wait until he starts the game. Those, those balls that he just fires in, obviously he kind of um, hit, hit the, the, kind of the cross-come shot that led to the third goal. But those balls that he whips in, either when he kind of cuts in from the left-hand side and whips in, and or from the right-hand side, are just absolute monsters. There is not, there is not a player in world football that can whip a ball in um, as good as De Bruyne. He's absolutely ridiculous. The pace, the power, and I think actually yesterday against Wolves, um, there was one through ball. I think it was to, I'm pretty sure it was to Sterling, um, which was absolutely brilliant. But other than that. He was kind of a, I thought he just didn't kind of quite find his range. He was like a kind of, maybe a golfer that hadn't kind of, um, hadn't played a tournament for a while, just kind of, kind of come back from injury. Just couldn't, couldn't quite find the, uh, couldn't quite find the fairways and the greens. Um, but you could tell, you could tell De Bruyne was there. He said he was back. He said he was kind of back at it. Um, and it was really great to see him uh, back on the pitch, getting some good minutes. Um, I'd be surprised if he didn't start against Huddersfield. I think it's the, the perfect uh, the perfect opportunity, which is obviously the next game that we play um, in the Premier League coming up um, this weekend. So, 
yeah, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play because he's had a couple of couple of games now when he's been back to fitness um, in terms of Premier League matches, and he started on the bench. Obviously, for the um, for instance against against Burton, he played. And he was an absolute monster. Um, but for me, I think you know we need to get De Bruyne back playing in the Premier League. Um, it's you know effectively it's the it's the, it's the it's the you know second half of the season now, and we, he's just so important for us. Me was the best player in the league last season. He was the best player in the best team that absolutely dominated. How you can't give um, the the PFA best player to to the best player in the best team uh, is 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 really beyond me. Unless there was an absolute standout person. I'll be honest, as well as Salah did, um, there were lots of other players. I mean in that Liverpool team that did well and obviously it was just the amount of goals that Salah scored but De Bruyne the, the fact that he was the best player in the best team and by some margin do you know what I mean it's not like you know, last season yes David Silva played well Guerrero kind of nipped him with his goals <clears throat> Bernardo Silva did a job in his first season played so many minutes whether it's starting or, or not Fernandini was his kind of um, his ever present self but, but for me De Bruyne was so good and so impressive you know there was there were games where he was just tearing teams apart. You know, you think of that Stoke match. Um, he literally got almost like single-handedly um, won, the, won the game for us. And, you know, what did, realistically, the goals that Salah scored, what did he do for Liverpool? And so, so we're talking about the best player in, in England. And yes, OK, Liverpool got to the, uh, got to the final of the Champions League. What else did they do? What else did they do? They did nothing. I know we're going back on old ground here, but it's just a bit ridiculous. But anyway, that's kind of how important De Bruyne is to us. Um, he is a monster. You know, he's tall, he's big, he's rangy, he's so good technically. He's great in the tackle. Like, he's very similar to kind of Fernandinho in many ways. When in, uh, defensively, when he's kind of uh, likes to be on the front foot um, to try and kind of nip in and, and get those, uh, get retrieve the ball back really quickly. Um, but yeah, just great to see him back. Like I said, I don't think he quite found his range yesterday against Wolves. Um, and I'd have liked City. I know it feels like a little bit greedy. And we did go for it. But I feel it would have been better if we were kind of score a few more. Obviously, if you look at the um, if you look at the goal difference, obviously we've got a little bit of a better goal difference um, between um, us, and, um, us and Liverpool at the moment. But there's, it's only, there's only, only a couple things in it. Only a couple of goals in it. Um, so... It's going to kind of it's, it's going to come down to the wire. Um, it feels like, and I think in those sorts of games where the, the opposition is down to ten men, um, you've got a lot of the ball. You're creating chance after chance. And I think it was kind of time to try and take them to the sword. But you know, fair fair play to to Wolves. They defended resolutely. Connor Cody played really well, um, despite I think effectively scoring the own goal. But um, yeah, just a, just a kind of like I said, just great to see City back at it. Um, got a few games coming up now where again we can really kind of put the pedal to the metal continue to play these games a bit like they're kind of like training matches or training exercises and like I was saying I was talking to my, my dad about it, I just love the way that Pep sets up his team in terms of the professional approach I never have an issue with any um, Pep side that they're going to go out there and not only and, and be in the match and be involved in the match and the reason why they're in the match is because he, he, he ensures that his team are absolutely 100% focused I remember when Mancini and Pellegrini were both in charge and yeah we had some great teams there and we would score goals we had great runs had scored lots of um, lots of you know lots of points etc etc obviously didn't kind of play anywhere near um, the uh, 
the kind of all-round football, both offensively and defensively, um, that, that Pep is enabling his team to do. But we did play some really good attacking football, particularly under um, uh, Pellegrini when he his first season in charge when he won the league, and also with Mancini as well. In particular, um, the first half to that um, <coughs> to the 2011-2012 season, we were tearing teams to shreds with Nasri and Tevez and Guerrero and Silva. Um, uh, you know, beautiful footballers, beautiful combinations. Um, we were just tearing, tearing teams to shreds. But then we would have those games, those games where you throw it away um, and you just don't really get that with Pep, yes you get losses of course, this is football, it's played over 90 minutes, anything can happen, we've been a bit unlucky recently, there are chances haven't really gone our way and also we've had absolute worldies I mean you look at, um, you think of that Andros Townsend goal, that's not going to be only the goal of the month, that's going to be the goal of the season that is an absolute joke of a goal but then obviously we can see the other one and there we get a goal back and um, we just weren't effective we just weren't really good enough on the on the day and like I said some of the chances haven't really fallen our way but still the the, the, the positive thing about um, having Pep in charge and that's why I love having Pep in charge and even though it's great having the kind of you know the Abbey Dabby millions and Shane Mansour and all that kind of stuff but it's not really it it still felt like when you was with, with Mancini and Pellegrini in charge that it still there was still an element of that kind of typical city about it. even though the results had definitely obviously turned. I mean, we were qualifying for the Champions League. We were winning the league, uh, FA Cups and League Cups and leagues. But there's definitely still an element of you know what I'm worried about this. I'm going to throw it away. Um, and even though I can't say, obviously because it was Wolves and Wolves have done really well against um, other Premier League opposition this season. Uh, most notably recently, obviously they kind of beat Spurs at Wembley and that kind of thing. Obviously they drew against us. Personally, I feel well. You know, it was a lucky goal that they scored. We created more chances than they did. Yada yada yada. Um, but I kind of, you know, it, 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 it wasn't kind of coming up against you know, Huddersfield or Fulham or, or someone like that where you're you know, pretty much nailed on and Brighton have done really well this season. Um, so we kind of had to go um, not kind of totally overconfident, but like I said, I was, again, um, I just felt like we were just going to go there and because of how we'd been performing recently, just put in that same performance. It's almost like, it kind of feels like... Um, from the, the end of the, the last game to the start of the next game, that nothing really changes. Nothing, you know, we haven't really kind of <clears throat> done anything, um, you know, materially different. There's no real tactical differences in terms of maybe tempo or anything. It just feels like every 90 minutes is just almost like continuous, and it doesn't really matter who the opposition, um, who the opposition is. Um, and I'm still really confident about this season. I mean, who knows? Um, Liverpool got a couple of games coming up that are um, you know, fairly easy. They've got Palace at the weekend. We've got Huddersfield. Um, so who knows? You know, like um, I agree with um, a journalist. I think it was on the uh, the Monday Night Club um, this this Monday, yesterday, um, talking about actually from now until the end of the season, it's not really about whether um, Liverpool are better than City in a kind of one on one. You know, who's better? Who's got the better team? Who's got better the squad or whatever? Even though I think. It's pretty obvious that it's that it's City. Let's be honest, um, but it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't, it, you know, it's, it's it's irrelevant almost. It's actually how well that they can do against against the other teams in the league, and obviously City similarly as well. But you know, they've got the four point lead. They've got the, you know the, the the gap at the top of the Premier League. Can they uh, can they continue that? Can they ensure that they effectively um, they've got two chances to slip up and then match us? Or actually, just one chance to slip up and then match us for the for the rest of the season. So, it's um, 
you know, it, it's going to be interesting, but I, just, I have such faith in Pep, I have such faith in the squad. Um, and like I said, part of the, one, of, one of the reasons, one of the, the really great things about this kind of um, coming back to form is the form of Gabriel Jesus. I know that um, there had been his kind of detractors, especially online from a lot of City fans. It's really difficult to kind of assess City fans online and some of these like Twitter, Twitter handles. And some of them have like, I have a kind of Guardiola's name in the in the title, like Guad, you know, Guadalista and Pep this and whatever, you know, whatever else. So I, is it a thing now that there are like supporters of of managers that go around and whoever he's in charge of, they just go and support that? To, I don't know, a bit strange, but I'm sure there is. This is life and life is weird and this is football and football's weird. So I'm sure there are those weird people that go out supporting the manager rather than an actual team. But um, it's just, yeah, there was... There was a lot of criticism, or a little bit of criticism, from um, from City fans, from some City fans about Gabriel Jesus and just how um, and perhaps maybe we need to replace him or get rid of him and that kind of thing. I just think, just look at the way he plays. Just look at how you know he's he's very very skillful. Um, he he can play he can play deep. He can push forward. He's a great on the shoulder striker. He's a great fox in the box. He's good in the air. He's skilled. Like I said, he's skilled. He's got some tricks. Um, he's good at kind of this kind of nice interplay. He can be involved in the in the play. He works his absolute socks off. I mean, anyone that watches Gabriel Jesus and doesn't think that he wants to win, he wants to kind of put a shift in for his team and his manager and his club. Um, yeah, anybody doesn't think that is an idiot. He is. A, he is. He's a great player to have in your team. And I won't have anyone say otherwise. He's, he came up first onto the scene. Um, obviously, you know, all those kind of um, goals and accolades for Palmeiras. City signed him up. He's played um, so many games for Brazil and scored a load of goals. I think his ratio is like one in two. Pretty much the same for City as well. Um, and I'm just so pleased for him because, personally, I don't think he was playing that badly at all. In fact... I think if you looked at, and I think I might have said this in a previous podcast, I'm going to say it again. I think if you looked at his actual performances when he first signed for C in last season against this season, I think he's played better. I think he's, I think he's, I, I, there's been a few games where he's been really, really good. He even came on against Liverpool and he had that cameo and he, um, and he, he played really, really well. He almost scored an absolute beautiful goal. And I think he's done all right. I just think he's missed the odd chance. Um, he's been a little bit unfortunate because Aguero's been so hot, obviously up until kind of Aguero got injured. But um, he's, you know, Aguero has been hot this season, so it's it's difficult to drop Aguero when he is in that form. Um, but I wouldn't worry. I mean, you know what I mean? He's, he's kind of what 21 years old, I think, roughly there thereabouts. And I just don't. What is the, you know? What is there to worry about? Is watch this guy play football. I mean, he is. You know, so basketball to him. He's a baller. He is a baller. Um, he's he's just he's great to watch. You know, he's not you know he's not the next Neymar or whatever. But he's he's kind of he's he's an interesting player because for me is he's, he's very much a number nine because he likes to play on the shoulder. Um, he is he, he kind of sniffs out a chance, gets in the box. Um, he's a fairly good finisher, pretty consistent with his finishing. Good in the air. Will want to you know leap for the ball, head the ball get involved in the box um but he's also very good at kind of coming deep and being that you know kind of doing what almost like not comparing it to Messi but like what Messi does kind of comes to the you know the edge of the center circle and kind of tries to get involved in because of the build-up play next thing you know he's in the box 
Um, you know, Jesus can do that. He can come wide. He can do, you know, can do those things. So he's a, I think he's very much a modern day footballer. Worked really hard for the team. He's very skillful, very technical, um, but also has a kind of, for me, has a has a very, um, you know, effectively. I think his main position is number nine. He's a striker, but that's his position. But he can play. You know, he's versatile. Effectively, he can play different positions. Um, but uh, so yeah, I think it's interesting that Jesus played um, and started against against Wolves. I don't know whether that was because um, Agüero perhaps had a niggle. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't see or read anything about that. But I would, you know, I would suggest that um, that's a bit of a statement, I guess, from Pep to kind of say that actually, you know, if you because of how well you've been doing recently. You know, you're 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 going to play, and that kind of you know sets sends the challenge out to Agüero. Not that he probably need doesn't need any encouragement, doesn't need to kind of understand that there's someone there trying to take his place. I think Agüero is always going to um, get goals and work, work work hard for the team and that kind of stuff. I mean, there aren't many like we said like like I said last time. I think in the uh, in the previous podcast episode ten, I think you know there aren't too many players on the planet, probably like literally a handful that could have scored the goal that he did. Um, against Liverpool, I mean that is an absolute, uh, unbelievably fantastic goal, um, and you, you just don't get, you're just not going to get many other, um, many other players that have scored that. It's just great. No, you know, I don't think Gabriel Jesus scores that goal. You know, he, he, he definitely doesn't. In fact, in my eyes, you know, he's not that level yet. I think he can get there. Um, maybe he scores kind of different types of goals, or whatever. But you know, that kind of the the, the movement, the touch, and the finish is just. Um, it's just out of this. It's outrageous. It's out of this world. And to do it in kind of one of the biggest games um, of the of the season, I think you looked at the stats. I haven't got them to hand, but there's a ridiculous kind of stat going around about in comparison to kind of other. I think like active strikers like Kane and people like that. He's scored like almost more than double. I think against the top um, against the top six in comparison to. Um, to other strikers, so you know, he's a, as we kind of knew of a great, he's a, he's a big game player. He scores other goals as well, um, but you can always rely on him. I mean, the amount of goals he scored against United, for instance, over the years is just a joke. Um, and you know, when it you know when it comes to the big occasion, as we've seen in 2012 and the 93-20, we you know we've seen that Aguero moment. Um, he's 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 the big boy, and you can you can always rely on him. And that's why I think, even though you know, the good thing about Aguero. And maybe he'll want to leave in the next kind of couple of seasons or so. But the interesting thing is that I think as long as he kind of keeps his kind of fitness and uh, like you know modern day um, uh, nutrition and all that kind of stuff, I think it's I think it's fairly um, uh, fairly sure that if we want if he wants to, he'll probably for the next three four seasons because he's never really relied on pace. I don't think he's ever gonna he's not gonna lose that. Therefore, he's not gonna lose that much pace. Um, but his touch and it's just his finishing is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So as we've seen, as we know, don't really need to say it, but I did because he is that good. Um, so yeah, just great to see um, Gabriel Jesus back. I think there's no reason to panic. I don't know what City fans are thinking when they were suggesting that we should get rid of him um, because it's just a nonsense. But that's not to say that we shouldn't be looking out for perhaps the, you know the kind of next strike or the next purchase or whatever. And it'd be really interesting to see. And this is kind of a um, perhaps a thought moving into. The, this 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 coming summer, you know, in terms of goalkeeper situation, I think we're all right. Yeah, I think we've got um, Murici looks pretty decent. Obviously, Edison 
um, is is great. And obviously, as we've seen yesterday against Wolves, he's also our backup uh, defensive midfielder. <laughs> um, so, yeah, goalkeeper situation, okay, fine, not an issue. Wouldn't have to, wouldn't worry about that. Left back for me, I would say, yeah, we, I think some, we need somebody. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. But someone, someone like. Um, Someone like, I don't know, Chilwell, someone like that. Um, but, you know, not absolutely nailed on to get another left-back. Obviously, we've got players that can play there. We've got Sinchenko, we've got Danilo, we've got Delph. You know, so there's there's players that can play there. And obviously, we've got Mendy coming back, who's, who is, uh, who's the number one. So, we've got a number one already. So, not a massive issue that we kind of needed some kind of backup. But I would really like Chilwell. I think he's a, I think he's a great player. I think he's really, really professional. I think he would put the heat on Mendy and then if Mendy's not over the task I think we still got a really really quality left back there um, and and then it's you know on to the next one or whatever I think in terms of centre backs um, we'll see what kind of what company's doing but actually you know the first the first two so generally kind of like you know first 11 um, Stones and Laporte absolute bang on quality and then you've got Otamendi there as a backup he's an unbelievable backup um, defender one of the best defenders in the league in my opinion, was the best defender in the league last season. Um, was City's best defender. Um, and like I said, we'll see what's happening with company. Um, but perhaps we need another centre-back, I'm not sure. But maybe not for another season if company's still up for it. And obviously you've got Adebayario, um, who looks fairly decent to me um, um, as well. And then, and then you've got the reserve or the kind of the emergence almost of um of this uh, eric garcia character who's uh, firstly got a great name eric that's fantastic uh for a spanish uh, for a spanish player so you got him as well who looks i mean he looks gold doesn't he i mean anybody's seen that guy um we'll kind of move on to it in a bit when we're going to talk about the burton match but eric garcia looks a player he looks unbelievable and it's just great that you know, pep when Peck recognises a player, he recognises a player. I mean, this, this kid is, I think he's like, what, 17? I think he's now 18. Um, and what a potential he looks. So I think, actually, centre-back, we look good. Right-back, we look fine. Danilo and Walker, happy with that. Then you move into uh, midfield. And I kind of think, actually, yes, I think we need to be looking for a kind of a long-term replacement. I've obviously previously like, mentioned it on uh, uh, t- you know, talking about a replacement for, for Fernandinho. But I still think the level that Fernandinho is playing, I mean, it would take some kind of miracle for him to just drop off suddenly. But you never know. It might happen. Age might kind of catch up with him. Um, but I think Fernandinho still got at least um, a season and a half left in him, if not more. Um, and then it just gives us time to kind of think about the ideal replacement. And we've already bought um, 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 Gomez, for instance. That youngster from Paris Saint-Germain, who people have said is the next N'Golo Kanté, and etc., etc. So he's seen, you know, the Claudio Gomez, I think his full name is. So we've, you know, we've already got somebody potentially that could kind of fill his boots. And if you think that, you know, by the time maybe Fernandinho is 35, 36, is when he'll hang up his boots, Claudio Gomez will then be 21, 22, and you know, and, and if not, like we said, there could be what Declan Rice, there's Ndombele, there's there's players, there's players out there um, that we can um, that we can fall back on. I think in terms of like attacking midfielders. Unless there's some kind of um, absolute wonder kid that kind of uh, that becomes available or whatever, I don't think we need to buy anyone. We've got um, Gundogan, who's versatile, can play a kind of defensive or attacking midfield. But we've got you know De Bruyne, the two Silvers. We've got Foden. Um, I, you know, but, 
pretty covered, really. Let's be honest. We're pretty covered in that in that department. And then we got um, as far as the kind of the wingers concerned, we've got Sterling, Sane, Mares. Do you need another one? Not sure, like so, with Jesus' um, versatility, with Bernardo Silva's versatility, even Kevin De Bruyne's versatility. I think he could play um, or do a job. Um, even if it was just for a game or two um, on either flank, and even yesterday against Wolves, he found himself on on either on either flank to kind of whip those balls in because that's so dangerous. And defenders hate them; they hate defending against them because they're so fast and they've got such good kind of a good angle on them. You don't want to touch them, um, and you know, like the like almost and it led, one of them led to led to the goal, so it kind of makes sense. And then you've got um, striking options, and a bit like happened with yesterday. I think what Pep likes. Is that the the ability for some of those players to not not just be kind of wide men or attacking attacking men to actually go inside? And it happened yesterday. Uh, Jesus came onto the left. Sterling went inside, and I think Sane found himself in centre as well. I think Sane, because of how big he is and how strong he is, and and that kind of, I think he could do like a Ronaldo and kind of move into the centre in, in, in full time later in his career um, but for now he's you know he's got versatility and I just don't really see unless like I said somebody comes onto the onto the scene um, or becomes available I don't see who we're going to buy so it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what they do in terms of the makeup of the team and that kind of thing because I, I think and maybe maybe Pep thinks different maybe the hierarchy think different I think we're not we don't really need that much um I mean, perhaps if, you know, if uh, for me, if someone like Insigne come along or Riccardi or someone like that or even like someone like Neymar, for instance, that sounds a bit ridiculous, but obviously he wants to be kind of like the main man um, at a club. I don't know how maybe Pep would, um, would accept Neymar, kind of his antics and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be really interesting to see, but I mean... You know, for me, someone like like Neymar, he's just he's just a wizard. He's he's absolutely immense. He's so good, um, so potent that I don't think he could turn that down. He wants to be the main man. Obviously, that's where he's going to Paris Saint Germain, and maybe that's where he's going to stay for the next two, three seasons. Who knows? But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we could tempt him. I'm not sure. I think that'd be a, a bit of a um, a bit of a long shot. But I just don't know who else we could sign that can kind of make the squad kind of that much better. I mean. The kind of the elite players, like someone like Hazard, for instance, you probably never turn down the opportunity to sign Hazard. But where exactly would he fit in? You know, obviously at the moment, um, with Insari and for Chelsea, he's kind of playing this kind of like false nine. Is that his best position? I'm not sure. He's more of a number ten. But we kind of play with almost two number tens in either the Silvers or De Bruyne. So I just don't know. I don't know who who would be. Uh, who's going to be next? Um, kind of like the big hit list, the big kind of the big money move, and maybe that's what we'll that we'll go to. And obviously, when um, hey, I hate to mention them in the in this in a Man City podcast, but hey, um, obviously when like United, uh, when they were winning all those kind of like titles and things like that, that's kind of what they did. They kind of built the base of a really good team, and then pretty much every year built kind of. Uh, spent big on kind of one or two big money signings you can go over the years I'm not going to mention the names but um, anyone that's going to follow football from the you know the kind of the 90s to the noughties and that kind of thing you'll know who they signed and they basically signed kind of one one or two players generally on one but one, one or two players with big money um, just to kind of keep the pressure on and that kind of thing and I think what happened with City's transfer policy we kind of lost that along the way 
Um, we have signed players like Hedges Navas and Fernando and Mangala and, um, and even Sanya and people like that, which you know, just, you know, not, just not really well thought through transfers. Um, I think we're in a slightly different place now. I know, again, he's had his detractors as well, but I think Mares has been a really good signing. I think it's it puts pressure on Sane and Sterling. I think, you know, they're the future. They are going to be um, the kind of, you know, the, the, the Robin and Ribery of that kind of, of our um, of our team. But at the same time, you still need other players to kind of put, put pressure on. And I think Mares has kind of slowly kind of learned the pep way and is, is kind of slowly embedding his um, and, and putting his impact on the team and you know some people will still mention the you know the penalty miss against um, uh, against Liverpool but he's also been the kind of the matchman on a couple of occasions as well and I, but I think it's been it's been a really good sign it's been an astute signing um, you know can you imagine the minutes that Sane and Sterling would both play if Mares wasn't there and I, I you know bearing in mind we're still in all four competitions you know still got the quadruple to come whoop whoop um, then you just you just never know, do you? you just don't know um, what's going to come up. So I think it's been really positive. So, like I said, I don't know transfer policy. What do you think? Looking ahead to the summer, who can we sign? What can we sign? Where do we need strengthening? Um, for me, obviously, I think we need um, I think we need another full time left back. So similar to kind of Danilo. I know Danilo is very obviously played left back yesterday against Wolves, and he's very versatile. And I like that about Danilo. I think he's um, really good kind of like probe basically and, and understands exactly what he has to do on that pitch um, and played I think played fairly decent yesterday I thought he's um, I thought he's pretty good obviously you can even play Laporte left back so maybe Pep and the team will decide that maybe we don't need a full time um, left back and suspend all that money because if you know if you're going to buy somebody like Chilwell um, that's what that's I mean that's what 30 40 million is it maybe more for a left back I don't know it seems like a lot um, and I think the rest of the positions were pretty much, I'm pretty much happy with, no real issues. Um, but obviously the long-term replacement for Fernandinho, and you know, there's never going to be a player that's going to replace Fernandinho. Um, but then again, there was what there was, there was a time where I thought there was nobody that could really replace Yaya Torre. And I think, yeah, again, he had his detractors, but there's, you know, there, there was a couple of seasons. Um, where he was just absolutely unstoppable. I mean, he's um, he, he's just he's just so he was, back in the day. He was just so immense. I don't think he got the credit he deserved. And obviously, his kind of time after City kind of gone a bit sour recently in recent days. Um, interesting to see that obviously he was on the Monday Monday Night Club um, again. In terms of kind of a, I don't know a bit weird. Obviously, he'd been here quite a number of seasons, um, and but his English is kind of fairly good. Um, not as good as his brothers, but I guess he's quite spent longer here. Um, but yeah, kind of. I guess interesting to kind of get his thoughts on on, on the match and city and that kind of thing. Um, but no real kind of no hidden gems for me or no real giveaways. But um, but hey. Anyway, club legend. Sorry, you know it's a bit of a sorry state of affairs what happened afterwards. But it you know it did and uh, his agent's an idiot and that kind of thing. So, um, but anyway, yeah. I suppose going back to kind of like the Burton, um, the, the the Burton win. I know there was a bit of um, uh, kind of conjecture. There was like a special on um, on the BBC Five Live programs. I don't usually talk about um, like football elements for football's sake. It was more kind of like you know, was it fair that we kind of basically absolutely smashed Burton? Um, 
and I think you know again like you know I think Talksport had an issue on it and there's a, a, a lot of talk online as to whether we should have absolutely hammered um, Burton but you know my view um, and it's probably as split as Brexit isn't it from, from what I um, from what I saw online and what I uh, heard in terms of the callers and things that ran into show rang into shows and things it's fairly you know it was fairly split but I think my view is that I think it would be a disservice and disrespectful to Burton if you um, if you didn't go full out for it and and didn't put 100% 100% effort into it um, you know could they have kind of put their, took their foot off the gas yes but I think and like this kind of goes back to what I was saying previously about kind of the way that it almost feels like one minute one, one 90 minute finishes and the next one starts and there's no real differential between the two um, and that's kind of part of it for me those players they're elite players Pepper's got them playing they're pretty much exactly how he wants them to play but I think they can only do that if they have that mentality and they continue that mentality they can't just switch off they can't just switch it on and off basically when they cross that white line when they start playing that is it they are fully focused on doing the job in hands and if that means we just score one goal or nine goals that is it that's what we do that's what we implement we do not take our foot off the gas we do not take it easy we do not you know this i don't care if they're burnt they're effectively they're up, burnt up until recently we're kind of we're a championship club they're a well-run club they you know we've we've beat we've hammered premier league teams by more kind of six and seven so it's no disgrace to get smashed by city and I just think it would be disrespectful to Nigel Clough, disrespectful to Burton, disrespectful to their fans for us to take take it easy on them. And I don't think to kind of any pleasure from it. Um, obviously, it just means that the kind of the second leg is a bit kind of null and void. But you know, realistically, I think anything can happen over one match. We've seen that down the years. Football's football. Anything can happen. Ninety minutes, anything. But over two legs, over two legs of ninety minutes plus extra time potentially. You're not going to get that many shocks. You're just not. You know, class kind of tells out in the end. Um, and that's kind of it, really. So, I don't know. I kind of think that, like I said, I think it would have been a disservice. We could have taken our foot off the pedal. But I think... Excuse me. But I think that if we did do that, then that is uh, that not only doing a disservice, but also kind of takes us out of the kind of the city pep way of playing and that mentality and I think that's that's the bigger point for us and I don't really care if it was Burton or if it was Swindon or if it was you know Doncaster Rovers I don't really care who it is um, we're just going to go out there and play the game I think it will be interesting to see who um, who plays against Burton in the in in the kind of in the second leg and I think despite what I've just said I think that might be the only the only exception because we know that nothing is on it or nothing is riding on it and I think in that scenario where you basically won the match already I think it probably naturally turns into a bit of a kind of testimonial I think we'll go out there and I think we'll probably win by four or five but um it just won't have that kind of same match intensity and I don't I didn't worry about that. I think that's an issue. But I think where there's something to be won or something to be had, it's really important that you know we you take that kind of professional mentality um, in, into the match, really. So, yeah. Um, and then, um, just obviously, yeah, recently, there's, I, I think it's this constant thing. I'm not going to talk about it all the time because I think it's a bit petty and I think it's a bit pathetic. But, again, um, 
and I suppose one of the one of the things that kind of um, made me talk about it was the fact that um, and this is City's attendance by the way so one of the things that made me talk about it was the fact that um, Talk Sport in their infinite wisdom um, decided to tweet something out yesterday when he was playing Wolves um, alluding to the uh, saying oh is there, is there a crash on the M6 um, and actually earlier in the day there had been an M6 uh, there had been a crash on the M6 and hopefully the people in that um, in that crash are alright I don't think TalkSport for one minute um, looked into that before they tweeted that out so that's kind of a bit kind of morally, morally and ethically questionable on their behalf but it's also something that I think they've ripped off from like Sports Mole or something like that and to be honest I don't mind that kind of that Twitter banter having a go at City about you know the empty hat and all that kind of stuff I don't mind that it doesn't, doesn't, really, doesn't really bother me that much um you know, it's just kind of like fans being fans, saying kind of, you know, stupid stuff. Often it's kind of not true and that kind of stuff. But it's um, it's kind of when it, it's a, it was like a reputable, I say reputable, and people make scoff at that, but reptile broadcaster, you know, they keep going on about the number one sports radio uh, program in the world, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's when, when they start to do it, when the kind of the reptile ones start to do it. So they're going to poke fun at clubs and fans and that kind of thing. And I just think it's just bad taste. It's just like at the end, at the end of the day, um, and this is not, um, uh, you know, setting out any excuses for kind of city or city fans or attendances or anything like that. I mean, the, you know, the facts are the facts. At the end of the day, we have got one of the highest ten. We've got highest, higher average attendance than um, than than Liverpool. Than I think is is it like Newcastle and Everton and all those kind of other big clubs. Well, I think the only ones that beat us, I think, are like uh, United. Is it Arsenal? Um, West Ham now, obviously, because they got um, that stadium. And I think, um, have we even got a higher average attendance than Tottenham because of, uh, I don't know if they, because of the fact that they can only have, I think it's like 50,000 at Wembley or whatever it is. And I think they had special dispensation to have higher attendance against United. So does that take their average up by a lot? I don't know. But anyway, there's there or thereabouts. It's kind of 50 odd thousand. Um, and yeah. I take you know kind of totally take the point that obviously that is based on kind of ticket sales um, and not those that that kind of turn up or whatever and obviously there can be a disparity there but there's gonna be a disparity I'm sorry like that it's really difficult to get a season ticket really difficult to get a season ticket for City reasonably difficult to get a, t- a season ticket for a lot of the big clubs so once you've got that ticket and once you you know you basically you've got that you're gonna and you're able to attend most of the matches you're gonna pay. You're going to pay for that every season. You're going to secure that season ticket. There was a really interesting... Um, I don't know the specific details, but I just know kind of like the rough story of where... I think it was like Barcelona, wasn't it? They got a 100,000-seater stadium. And it was where their, um, a lot of their um, older kind of fans basically kept... Um, uh, season tickets just kind of like passed them on. I think it was for like the kind of the electronic gate system and that kind of thing. And basically what had happened is a lot of the season ticket holders... Um, and actually died, um, and they would just pass them on in between families, and wouldn't, um, and because I think they were like life memberships and that. So anyway, so they kind of, I think, I had to kind of revoke that system and then do a new system or whatever. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Even kind of talking about you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Spain, like it's not uncommon for um, for those to have. And basically, they're you know half filled stadiums, especially when they're playing kind of lower league opposition and that kind of thing. Um, it's just not uncommon, and it's interesting in kind of English mentality that we always have to have kind of full stadiums. Well, you know, newsflash, um, 
down in the championship and especially one and eight two there are plenty of empty empty seats and empty stadium not just because you're a big club that you've kind of got um, empty seats but actually in terms of the comparison from average stadium to the like how full it is generally um, cities is pretty close to their kind of max capacity and like i said there was an article i think recently and that's based on kind of like police numbers as how many actually turned up and that kind of thing but that's variable and they would like pick out certain matches but who knows maybe that was over christmas maybe there was an accident maybe it was like three home games in a row um and it was on like maybe a monday night where it is difficult to to kind of get out and and watch i don't know i don't know what the kind of the reasons are but arsenal the last couple of years have had um loads of empty seats um, and even you know, even clubs like United and that when they play kind of League Cup matches, especially in that kind of thing, loads of empty seats. Empty seats is not um, a new, pheno- uh, you know, it's not a new phenomenon. And I don't know what the obsession is with empty seats. Um, it's at, at the end of the day. I think the official attendance yesterday for the, the Wolves match was was fifty four thousand, uh, which is pretty much bang on in terms of in terms of attendance. And I think they, the picture that they'd actually taken was I think it was very close to half time so maybe a few people have obviously popped off early um, to get some refreshments and also I think the picture that they actually took um, yes it was actually from the family stand and obviously the family stand is um, full of kids and generally kids um, especially the younger ones maybe kind of like you know 10 and below they're just not going to be there because they've got school the next morning and that's kind of um, you know might sound like a bit of a ridiculous they're making excuses it's not it's just the kind of the reality of it or whatever and also the reality of it is that actually i think city fans can be proud to say this is that we're not as big as some of those other clubs just not not as big as man united but we're not as big as liverpool um we're not we're not gonna be as big as like arsenal or whatever you know these are clubs that have been winning titles and winning things for years and years and years have grown their fan base kind of organic over the years because of those successes and City are doing that now you know since the kind of the takeover in 08 a lot more City fans from around not only like the Manchester area but more to the point beyond like I know a lot of kind of other fans like Liverpool fans particularly we kind of travel like lots of miles and I've done it as well I don't live close um, to Manchester I have a good three hour journey away um, and I've been a season ticket holder before um, and it's just you know if you've got the time you've got the opportunity you'll do it and if not because of family and whatever work whatever you just can't do it but obviously City just haven't got that the the fans that you know I, I grew up in a, in a town where most people didn't support um, for instance in Swindon I didn't I didn't I didn't um, come across hardly any Swindon fans hardly any bearing in mind it's a it's a one town sport a one sport town pretty much there's nothing really else they've got a little bit of ice hockey and whatever else but it's it, you know the rugby isn't really that big there or whatever it's just the, the only thing really in in the, the town itself is football um, and even though they haven't been kind of a very successful team they've kind of had successes over the years and you know kind of league cup victory famously league cup victory um with like don rogers scoring those goals against arsenal and all that kind of stuff so it's it, it's it's interesting that because it is the type of town that it is and it's like a commuter town and it kind of um was grown out of the kind of the railways and that kind of thing and then the m4 and all that kind of stuff is that it is a commuter town and you'll get people that have come from kind of far and wide um, and they'll bring the clubs they supported over and then also you'll get those kind of young kids that like the Premier League and watch the Premier League and then choose a favourite club and then we'll support them. Like I said, I didn't really see many Sun and Sam fans at all growing up. Hardly any. And in in the town of my friends, they were all, guess what? 
Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, all that they were all those sorts of clubs. Um, and the only Man City fans was me and my dad, and, and I managed to get a couple of my friends to put support City and that kind of thing, and it, it kind of went from there. But it's just you know we haven't got there. We haven't got got that kind of legacy of other fans um, from, uh, from from like new fans from kind of towns beyond kind of Great Manchester area um, to support. And that's you know again it's not a moaning thing. It's not a kind of whatever. It's just a, I think that's just a fact. You'll get a lot of. Um, people now that have grown up through years supported like you know Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United whatever and through the fact that they've maybe done well for themselves and they you know, obviously really loved the club and that whatever but maybe in their kind of teens and early 20s they weren't able to go watch them but now because they've kind of got the surplus income and that kind of thing that they're able to and they've got that kind of additional fan base out there. City like I said haven't got that I think if you probably look at the teenagers these days I think um, you know, City will be, and I've seen it again. I've seen it in still living in like kind of Swindon area, um, and I've seen it. I've seen so many kids now with City shirts and City kits on, and that kind of thing. And I'm involved in like local um, football coaching and that kind of thing. And I see it. I see cl- um, little kids now that support City and when they're older, because they would have supported City when they were young, and they watch them on TV and they watch them online and their phones and all that kind of stuff nowadays. They will then, when they've got the surplus income, they've got and they're able to, and perhaps they move out of. Um, out of the local area, maybe they're only an hour or two away from Manchester, or maybe they move to Manchester because of City. That they will, that, that those fans will come along. So this is all about the long game. You know, don't you worry when it comes to the big matches and the big games and that kind of thing. Every City fan worth their kind of salt, and um, they will be there. And as that turned out for the Liverpool game, you know, every City fan. Um, we were there. We were, you know, we were there. The atmosphere was absolutely unbelievable. It's electric. Every kick, every tackle was cheered. Um, there was not a kind of an empty seat in the house. And you know, it, for a lot of fans, oh, that's how it, you know, that's how it should be. But the idea, this is like the, almost like the kind of the stupid irony of stupid football fans, especially online, because um, that's that's where most of the stupid football fans are. Um, the kind of the double irony, basically. <laughs> it's like, well, the first irony is that you wouldn't, like, I don't know if City fans are special. Um, maybe they I mean, I know they are. But may, I don't know whether they're just, they're so rich. Maybe, that, and I, I must have missed this, <clears throat> but maybe um, Sheikh Mansour has kind of sent all City fans kind of a big lump sum of money. So what they can do is they can afford to pay for a season ticket or pay for six tickets to the match so we get the, the match day attendance up but then just not bother turning up so we we pay for the tickets but then we just don't bother turning up so where's the where's the logic in that it doesn't make that makes no sense whatsoever um and then also these idiots online kind of the you know the second irony is that these idiots online will also be the same idiots that don't ever turn up for their matches they probably support these kind of you know the so-called bigger clubs or whatever um but that's how you get the kind of more bums on seats like i said you get the kind of legacy fanage from kind of other towns and cities um not just the local area because if it was just about the local area city have a very hardcore um fan base like i said when we went down into um old division uh, two with um, you know with, with Joe Royal um, and all that we would when we were down there we would break attendance records for all the away matches I think we had the highest um, at, at that time the highest division one average attendance I think it was close to 30,000 um, season ticket sales at the start of that season despite being relegated from what now is the championship actually went up the attendance for 
um, the Blackpool game was over 30,000. I think it was like 33, 34,000, something like that. Um, you know, it's, and I, I was there, and it was just, and is, you know, that's that's the hardcore um, city fan base. It's you know between 30 and 40,000, but we can, you know, we can fill a 50 odd thousand seat stadium. But just when there are those um, little kind of anomalies, whether it's a traffic thing or it's a Monday night or whether it's three home games in a row or whatever it is. Um, that's that's kind of like the reason for and I don't feel like as City fans we need to kind of justify that ever like I just I don't feel like we need to but I kind of feel like it um, and maybe it's contrary to what I'm saying at the moment but, but this is like the rationale and the explanation but like the sensible debate and the sensible reason and rationale um, for it and I, just, just it's maddening to me um, that this is kind of still a thing and it feels like it's a thing that commentators and journalists and broadcasters and think hey, it's just a stick to beat um, uh, City. It's almost like oh, you're at the you're at the top, so you should you should have a 99.9% round um, fill, filled out, no exceptions, no nothing. When it comes to other um, other teams like Spurs recently, uh, home to uh, at Wembley, when they barely got was it 20, 30,000 for one of their matches. Um, hardly anything is said, and it just feels like it's a stick to beat us with. And like we said, you know, the, just think of the amount of the hundreds and thousands of fans that um, that Liverpool would have um, that would have obtained by their success in the 70s and 80s, and even kind of like early 90s. So just think of because um, like then it was still like it was still a big club, and it was the hope, and it's the, maybe the hope that kills you, but it's the hope, the hope that they would kind of rekindle those glory days. Just think of how many thousands of fans. Just not just around the kind of Liverpool area, but around other areas as well. And I was, you know, I was witness to this. This is not a fantasy. This is a, I've witnessed this. And like I said, I know people that live like three hours away from Liverpool, three and a half hours away, and they're season ticket holders. So this is, you know, this, it plays out. It's true. Do you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. It's not, um, like I said, it's just, this is kind of like the sensible rate. It's reasoned, it's rational. But I don't really care. At the end of the day, We've got Pep Guardiola, we're the Centurions, we're the champions, everyone else can just suck it because it's just, honestly, it's just ridiculous this day. I've had enough of it. I'm not going to mention it again on this on, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, that and that's and that's kind of it really. I mean, like we're, we've all had such tremendous support. I mean, you look, go back to that match at, um, at Ewood Park and, uh, when, we, when we got back-to-back promotions, back to the Premier League um, with Joe Royal. We basically, Ewood Park was basically, it was like a home match. It was just, you know, I know it's kind of Blackburn's fairly close to, to Manchester or whatever, but, you know, City fans have always been loyal and to, and always, uh, for me, I've, uh, maybe it's just football fans in general, but I've only generally been around City fans, but they've got such good sense of humour. I think for a long period of time, um, City were a lot of people's like second team, and perhaps maybe that's changed now. So there's a bit of bitterness because of the money that's been plugged in, the kind of see, oh, you haven't earned it, and all this kind of nonsense. Basically, um, did like you know, did Newcastle, you know, did they, did they earn their relegations? You know, did <laughs> did like Leeds earn their um, their relegation and their kind of financial plight? Did they? Um, did Leicester fans? earn the right to kind of become champions I just no they didn't they, it doesn't work like that you know it's football put 11 men on a on a pitch and let's see who comes out at the end of the season on top you know it's just it's just the way it is you know we've got all we've got this money but all this money hasn't guaranteed success and um 
and titles year in, year out, or whatever. You know, still had to work for it. Still had to think about who's going to be in charge, what position, strength of squad, all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, by the best players, generally you'll do okay. But actually, if you want to win titles, there's a little bit more, um, a little bit more to it, as kind of Pep has shown. So, um, so that's enough on that. City's hardcore fan base and City's fan base in general is, you know, it's, for me, it's world class fan base. Um, they follow them wherever they, wherever we go. Um, I love being around City fans. They're kind of, you know, the banter and the humour is absolutely brilliant. But yeah, that's enough of that. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk about um, City's attendance anymore. Like I said, it's uh, a quick kind of piece on it. Like I said, it's uh, it's something that kind of keeps coming up, keeps and. Like I say, it's it's you know it's it's fine for kind of um, funny lad Bible pages and things like that, and just general fans to kind of keep mentioning it or whatever. Because this can be the kind of the ongoing um, the ongoing debate if if we need to have if if we need or want to have that. Um, but realistically, I don't care really. Um, this kind of you know this piece was just more about kind of if we want to have kind of like a sensible debate which I don't think anybody really does I think a lot of the people that kind of spout this out is either um, if it's kind of um, like I said if it's lad bible things or um, uh, or bookmakers or whatever they generally just want they're just just after kind of clickbaits and comments and that kind of thing to kind of raise their social media profile and probably similarly with kind of individuals as well um, for for that kind of thing and they're not really interested in the kind of the, like maybe a rational debate or kind of a, um, listen to the, maybe the kind of the justification or whatever they just think oh all this money's been kind of ploughed into to cities so um, realistically they should they should just um, at, you know fill their stadium kind of every week or whatever but like we said um, City aren't quite obviously at the level of the of, of, of United and that kind of thing. It's just it's just realistic. They're not, but they have got a hardcore fan base. Um, we we you know there's a waiting list for season tickets. Um, there's a waiting list for kind of going to away matches and all that kind of stuff. But there are kind of certain mitigating circumstances um, around around home matches. And just kind of one final point on it. And I keep saying this is uh, the end or the final point. Just one final point on it. And this is going to sound. Um, a little bit ridiculous but I think it's actually a really really prudent um, prudent point is that for me it's the blue seats the blue seats are the things that um, that, that stand out in you look like in Spurs' new stadium um, I don't know if this is a maybe it was just a, 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 an obvious choice or whatever but they've gone for the for a for a dark seat now maybe Spurs will have no issue. Or, you know, we're kind of filling their stadium week to week or whatever. I know there's um, Spurs, are, you know, a big club. They're kind of based in London. You get like kind of a lot of tourists wanting to turn up, that kind of thing. And you know, Spurs are a big enough club probably anyway to kind of fill that stadium. But um, but even if there 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 will be um, empty seats on occasion, but they just won't be so obvious because they're dark, they're dark seats, they're black seats. And the same, the similar thing with it, I think being like even like red seats. They're just, they're just not as obvious as blue seats. As light blue standout seats, they, they're just more obvious. So that's why um, it's part of the break. And people may, you know, you may laugh at that. You may think, oh, that's, oh, that's absolutely ridiculous. It's just the fact that, you know, you don't have anyone turning up or whatever. But that's clearly not the case. Um, as, as, you know, as, as I've said before, City... Week in, week out, get kind of you know fifty four thousand um, tickets sold, but not everyone is gonna, not every one of those people is gonna turn up to, to matches, and that and that and that, that goes for that goes for any club. Um, 
But it's just, you know, it's, like I said, it's a number of things. It's the fact that actually the ones that kind of don't tend to turn up are the ones that, for whatever reason, it's the bottom tier. But I think that's because it's the worst view. Um, is anyone that's been to the, the Etihad, the kind of the middle tier and the top tier are definitely the best view. Um, obviously, the, the um, in, you know, like the North Stand, for instance, the, um, right next to the away fans, that's where the atmosphere is. You obviously, you'll get all the kind of, you know, die-hard kind of City fans there and the singing fans. So they're generally going to turn up um, every week, that kind of hardcore bunch. But then the ones that might not turn up are the kind of, you know, the, your, your day trippers or your family or whatever. And they tend to be um, kind of the South, South Stand family stand or just the kind of the lower tier in both the Colin Bell um, and, and the other one as well. So it's anyway, it's just, it's a bit, um, it's, it's just, for me, if someone wants to have a kind of an, an actual debate about this, if they're that if they are that interested rather than just being like I said a stick to beat City fans with um, then fair enough I'm up for the debate let's have it if not um, shut up we're champions um, that's the end of it um, but yeah that's pretty much pretty much the end of the podcast one thing um, I just uh, did want to know so a couple of things obviously looking forward to the, the fixtures coming up but um, one thing before we do that um, uh, the Man City uh, ladies team Man City women um, have recently gone top of, um, of the, the women's super league so I really hope um, that um, City can do really well in that. Um, and obviously they've also been in the, uh, the semi-final of what they call, um, it's like a, a, I think it's called the, the, Con- the Conti Cup or whatever. Um, so yeah, just haven't really touched upon the kind of the, the women's team before, but perhaps um, it's, it's something that we kind of will focus on. Um, not, don't give really that much chance to kind of uh, watch like the games live or kind of stream them or whatever. But do try to um, keep across some of uh, some of the highlights and that kind of thing. So I'm um, trying to kind of bring it in as a as a little little bit of a feature on on the women's game because I think it's really important. I think you know for all the kind of the naysayers and the the, the people that criticise City um, and the the ownership of the club, one thing that they have really done is invested in, in women's football and have invested in things like youth football, for instance. And City's team are so successful. Um, that I think is just an important, an important point to pull out. And it's the same thing with uh, Chelsea, for instance. Again, a lot of criticism of Roman Abramovich when he came in and all the money that he ploughed in, that kind of thing. But again, they have been one of the um, one of the instigators for the success and progression of the women's game. And again, at youth level, I mean, their youth teams have been ridiculously successful in recent years winning the kind of the FA Youth Cup and it is what like kind of six or five or six times out of the last seven years something ridiculous like that so you know the the investment that both City and clubs like Chelsea as well have kind of put in like in the women's game but the youth youth level as well is um is 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 coming to fruition I mean you look at the kind of the the young players that are coming through at the moment like you know obviously like Sancho and Foden Hudson Odoi, um, and even players like you know Tammy Abraham and Solanke, and um, uh, there's um, Ampadu, and there's all these all these other uh, all these other kind of youth players which are going to be the, the stars of the future for both England, Wales, whoever. Um, they're you know they're, they they put the money in, and it's it seems like it's not only, they're not only just going to be kind of these bit part players; they're going to be the next generation of kind of like superstars, and it really bodes well for England, um, Arsenal are kind of another one, obviously United as well, um, fairly successful in terms, in terms of bringing through young players, so um, I don't see why that should be, again, a kind of stick to beat, kind of City and Chelsea, whoever, whatever, I think the money that they've invested back into football um, is something to be, uh, something to be applauded, and I think you're, you're seeing the fruits 
of that now and I think you'll continue to see the, the, the fruits of that there's no coincidence for me I mean that perhaps it's uh, also a kind of a St George's Park thing and maybe a kind of England DNA a re, kind of reimagining of, of the English game and um, the coaching and that kind of thing but I also think it is the it, it is the Premier League clubs and it is the investment it's the it's the time and dedication and um, that and money that they invest into youth football and that's what we're really seeing um, the fruits of that so it's kind of a combination of a lot of things but I think one thing that you do have to kind of praise City for is, um, like I said, is investment in youth football and, and the women's game as well. So we'll keep abreast of how um, how the women's team are getting on. Currently top of the league, which is absolutely fantastic. Obviously the men's team second in the league at the moment. Um, again, got some kind of interesting games coming up on the horizon. Obviously we've got um, uh, Huddersfield away this um, this Sunday. Which, bearing in mind what's happening, what's happening to Huddersfield, the fact that David Wagner has left um, this week, it, I can't see anything other than a City win. I mean, we're very, very strong away from home. Kind of similar to, I um, think the only the only team that's kind of been better away from away from home in terms of the statistics is Spurs. Um, so both you know Spurs and City are very, very strong away from home. Um, which is kind of a little contrast, I guess, to when like previous manager like Pellegrini Mancini, where our home form was so strong. But um, yeah, I think I can't really see anything other than a, a City win on Sunday. Then we move into um, the the next leg against Burton. So again, it'd be quite interesting to see what team um, Pep puts out for that. I can see he's get, I, I presume against Huddersfield, he'll obviously put a yeah, very very strong squad out. I mean, you can't put anything but a strong squad out for. Um, um, for City at the moment with, with, the, with the squad that they've got but um, I really want to I think I've mentioned it previously um, but I would love to see uh, De Bruyne back I think um, he I think he deserves a start um, uh, and for me it perhaps be in place of David Silva give him a rest um, play kind of Bernardo maybe just just off the left attacking midfield um, and, and, and De Bruyne just uh, just off the right and uh, with uh, Fernandinho in the hole and that'll be my, my midfield three and then against Burton I mean what does he do? Obviously, you want to kind of keep the players fresh. Um, the tie is basically over, but you can't really, at the same time, just kind of fill it full of um, fill it full of kind of like you know the youth players or the under twenty ones or whatever. I just yeah, that's a, I don't know a bit a, a bit. Uh, it would feel a bit odd and probably be a bit, a bit wrong to do that. But at the same time, like I said, it's you know what what do you do? It's kind of it's a, it's a nothing game and. Um, and there's a good chance that kind of City might be off the boil in that match, which I don't know. Does that have then an impact for the next match? I'm not sure. The good news about that is that actually the next match after that is the FA Cup um, match at home against Burnley. Um, and I don't think, from, from my point of view, I don't think Sean Dyche is going to take that match that seriously from a previous kind of experience of. Seeing what Burnley do in terms of their 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 cup competitions and that kind of thing, I think they're still very much in trouble um, near the bottom of the table. Um, I don't necessarily think they'll go down. I think Sean Dyche will um, will will just about give his team enough to survive. But that's clearly going to be the the main focus, and I can't really see us tripping up against um, uh, against Burnley. And then, oh, I don't have it in front of me, but then I think it's a fairly kind of um, straightforward match. I think it's away at Newcastle, in fact, um, which is the, the match after that. Um, and again, I think, I mean, looking at Newcastle's home, home form, again, I can't see anything but a win. So we're kind of looking at four wins for the next um, four matches. 
um, which um, which would be great, and which I think would be what was that kind of like seven or eight on the bounce, which is which would be absolutely amazing. And then after that, some really a couple of really interesting matches. So then we're back home at the Etihad, two games in a row. Um, it's it's Arsenal and Chelsea. And then we move into the the, the first leg of the uh, the Champions League against Schalke. So kind of end of January, beginning of February, a really kind of like uh, you know basically tough fixtures. It's going to be a tough tough period for City, and it'd be really really interesting to see how how they got on through that period. Um, I mean, I'm confident that they'll that they'll be able to um, get victories against um, at home against Arsenal, against Chelsea, against Schalke. But they're going to be difficult. It's going to be a, a different kettle of fish. So obviously the the next four matches that that they'll play. But hopefully, like I said, the professional, the way that um, City kind of approach matches, um, that they can they can kind of not do a nice nice build up, continue to build the confidence, continue to score the goals. Um, hopefully, Jesus can continue to bang in the goals and give give Pep and give kind of Aguero a bit more focus, a bit more um, a bit of a headache in terms of uh, that that selection. Um, and then, yeah, just a, a quick note to our kind of cities under twenty ones. I know, like recently in the um, um, in the Checker Trade Trophy, I think they won. Didn't they kind of won through? I think aren't they in the like the semi final or something ridiculous now? Um, they came from like two goals down um, to eventually. I mean, was it like four five two or something ridiculous? And it just goes to show kind of the the strength in depth of um, of City's youth team and, like I said, the investment that's being made there. They are beating professional men's teams. Um, they've recently visited kind of Barnsley in the previous round. It's now Rochdale. Um, I'm not too sure they've got in the, the next round. I didn't quite see that. But they're one of the only kind of effectively the kind of youth teams that are left in the competition. Um, doing really well. And, and yeah, just kind of, re- again, just really positive to see. I quite like that in, um, that inclusion of kind of like youth teams within that kind of the Checker Trade Trophy, like formerly the Johnson Spence Trophy. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing to see to get the youth team to the final because the finals at Wembley obviously City are going through to the final of the uh, the Carabao Cup as well and they'll be playing kind of very very close together so it'll be it'll be just be really it would just be great to see and then obviously City's women's team as well if they can get through to the either the the, the Continental Cup the Conti Cup whatever it's called and also maybe the FA Cup later on um, and just have, yeah success all around the teams like the youth team the men's team the women's team um, just yeah a beautiful, a beautiful thing to see and long may that continue so we in Wem- making Wembley effectively our, our second home um, but yeah that is it for episode 11 thank you for listening uh, like I said I'm Peter you can catch me on um, catch me on uh, my own personal Twitter account um, where you know we generally talk about City and that kind of thing but there's also a little bit of kind of politics and stuff so if you want just football only if you want City only um, follow the uh, follow the Man City um, Man City Voice podcast on Twitter which is at Man City Voice um, and generally, yeah, we do kind of like, yeah, you know, general tweets about kind of matches, thoughts, uh, a lot of polls. Um, like to get a lot of the, the you know, the, the the kind of the voice and the opinions of of city fans in terms of how they're feeling about kind of various things. So, uh, so that's it for now. We'll have another episode in about a week's time. Um, but yeah, come on, you Blues, let's beat Huddersfield. Um, and then, like I said, it's uh, Burton after that, and uh, that, that's basically a, a foregone conclusion. So, really, a string, really interesting, um, pretty kind of four games coming up that are going to be fairly straightforward. But after that, um, so kind of some tough 
games, Premier League matches, and then the Champions League coming up. So um, we'll see you on the other side. If there's any more kind of talking points or anything you want to get involved with, like I said, um, follow me, comment, uh, message, etc. Uh, but that's it. Come on, you blues, and I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>